All right. Um, sheesh. It's been a while since, since you know, we've, we've kind of done some sermon time. And kind of taking it back, we started this passage on this demoniac, right? The man who was possessed by the legion of demons, this kind of extreme scene that we get in Mark chapter 5. And we've been working through this demon theology summary. If you would have asked me themes that I thought I would have hit on in the book of Mark, demon theology was not in the top five. But here we are. And again, just the way that Jesus talks and the way that Mark describes demons and all those sorts of things. And again, we've just hit on it and I've learned and I've grown a lot in this area. Gombas talked about the way that it's mundane, it's ordinary, it's kind of familiar, it's anger, that's, it, that's we've given into, it's jealousy, it's greed, it's, um, you know, it's not this exotic, Hollywood-eyes, spectacular. A lot of times that kind of demon possession is just somebody who at the very end of all those choices, we ask ourselves, what has gotten into that person? Something's come over them. Um, and then Garland, we talked about this, you know, two weeks ago, where he, the, kind of summarizing a lot of his thoughts is, you know, we've kind of renamed everything, right? You know, we, we have all these new names, psychoses or, or psychological conditions. He says, but we still don't have control. We have not solved the problem of evil. So while today we might, you know, be able to name, um, you know, a PTSD or bipolar or, you know, an addiction or whatever, yeah, sure, we can understand what, what maybe it is, but there is still that underlying evil. We have not solved that problem of demons, of evil that, is, that exists in our world. And then, you know, the, the, in, in the discussion last week, while I was talking, or a couple weeks ago, I was talking with Brian and Joy, you know, one of the things that was really impressed upon me, I thought was important, is it's not just like, it's not demon possession, you know, like I'm not looking in this room thinking, oh man, you know, I'm sorry, I have to pick on somebody here. <laughs> Who am I going to pick? I'll pick on my wife. Okay. Um, Robin's demon possessed again. You know what I mean? So there, there it is. It's just like that, that possession of, of, of couch pillows is kind of take it over again. <laughs> like it's not that, but you know, Brian and Joy made this comment. She said, you know, the little voices we hear, you know, that, that tell us that we lack, that we're not good enough. Um, that we're not loved, that we're not worthy, that God wants to punish us, that he's, that, that we've, we've done, you know, one too many times, or to give in to that temptation, that anger, that resentment, that compulsive purchase, all those sorts of things. And when we listen to all those voices, right, when we embrace those voices, when those voices again and again and again kind of take deeper and deeper root into our soul, again, that kind of almost ties with what Gombas was saying about that demon possession be very kind of ordinary, familiar, just kind of mundane, right? Go ahead, indulge. You can indulge again. Nobody's looking. It's okay. Do it again. No problem. You know what I mean? And that just, that creates that kind of, kind of demonic voices. Um, so in this passage, and, and we'll read it again in a second, in this passage, we have, you know, these people who are begging Jesus, right? The demons are begging Jesus, don't torment or torture us. And we kind of talked about Jesus as a hazard to our health. This kind of idea that, um, that God's holding out on you, right? That Jesus is really, when you accept Jesus into your heart, like, okay, like, it's good. But, you know, life then kind of becomes bland. You miss out on all the good parties. It's kind of boring. 
you know, and, and you kind of suck it up now, but, you know, you get heaven as a reward in the end. And there's that great phrase, Christians talk a lot about life after death, but what about life before death? Does Jesus bring us life, right? And of course, we, we again and again and again affirm that in Jesus, in following him, is our life. He is not a hazard to our health. He hasn't come to torment or to torture us or to make life boring or bland. He is the life that we were promised. Then the demons beg Jesus, don't make us leave our region, right? And this is kind of this idea of leaving our comfort zone, right? That we're kind of, um, we have all these comforts that we have. And that is what is preached. That is, the re- that is the religion that we live in, by the way. Of Western American culture, the religion that we live in is comfort and convenience, right? Um, and the cross is always a challenge to that, right? It is the sharp pointy end. It is always a challenge to when we find ourselves comfortable, when we find ourselves just asking for convenience, the easy way out, the cross often comes to us and challenges us to step out of our comfort zone. So then the third thing that Jesus, the demons are going to beg Jesus to do is to send us into the pigs. And this is, by the way, this is where we stopped a couple weeks ago. So my goal is to hit these, these kind of, this last bullet point and then these second two. Okay, so these last bullet point and then the, the people begging Jesus and then the healed man begging Jesus. Before we do that, let's read it. Mark chapter 5, um, 1 through 20. We'll go back into it one more time. Page, is anybody going old school Bible? 803. Is that what it was, a spider? (laughs) Yeah, ready guy? Here we go. Mark chapter 5. Verses, starting verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but broke the chains apart and tore the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Excellent. Um, let's start with the pigs, right? Who's gone to the, who, where are my OC Fair people at? OC Fair? OC Fair? Yeah. But do any of you guys like to go see like the, the, the farm animals? Little piggies around? so many piggies. They did? Look at that. Three little litters. Cute little pigs. Babe Pig in the City. Wilbur from Charlotte's Web. Peppa Pig. We have this like just kind of little love. I mean, pigs pigs are almost as as cute as as little puppy dogs, right? Huh? Yeah. Until they're not. Until they're not. Until they grow up and be like wild hogs, and then you like want nothing to to do with pigs. Um, when we think about pigs again, we kind of maybe have a little bit of a affiliation with you know all the cute little pigs or what whatnot. Um, let's let's break that mentality for a second. Let's take our our brains, our mindsets, and kind of put it back into the the first century into into say a Jew in the first century, an Israelite in the first century. Uh, there was, there's a book, or two books of the Bible called Maccabees, right? Actually, some of these, y'all know the Catholic Bible has more books than we do, right? Actually, some of these books are in the Catholic Bible. Some of the books of Maccabees are in the Catholic Bible. And th- the Maccabees talk about this intertestamental period, right? So say between the old, when the Old Testament was written and the New Testament was written, it's around the second century, about 200, two to 300 years before Christ. And there is a struggle. There is a battle against the Greeks and the Seleucid dynasties, right? And so you have on one end, you have the Israelites, you have the nation, uh, you, have, you have the Jews, you have them. And they are fighting against the Greeks, the Seleucids. And they're recording, you know, these kind of encounters. And, you know, the book of Maccabees, one of the most famous Maccabee is Judah Maccabee. He's the one who cleanses the temple, who makes all the things right again. But in the book of Maccabees, if you go and read some of those sections, and it's, it's, it's tough reading. I've, I've tried reading a little bit. It's, it's just, yeah, it's tough. Um, one of the things that the pagans would do when they would conquer the Israelites, right, is they would force them to eat swine, right? They would force them to eat pigs, symbolically rejecting the faith of their fathers, right? So as the Israelites and the Greeks and the Seleucids would battle, you know, and these battles would go back and forth on occasion when, when the pagans would win, when the Greeks or the Seleucids would win, they would then take their, their conquered foe, these Israelites, and they would force them to eat swine. Remember, remember pigs were impure, right? They were not, you were not allowed to eat those as a Jew. Um, That was one of the things that God had commanded the Jews to stay away from, right? So when they would do that, right, again, it was this symbolic, or was a symbolic, you know, rejecting the faith of their fathers. The pigs, right, it wasn't, you know, if you were to take your mind and go back into the first century as a Jew, it wasn't the O.C. Fair. It wasn't little Wilbur from Charlotte's Web, Pigs symbolized persecution. They symbolized paganism, right? They symbolized defeat, right? When Jesus kills these pigs, right? When Jesus puts these pigs into into the abyss, into the deep, it was 
it was a symbol of victory, of vindication, of triumph, right? Now, I, when we're getting, when I'm talking about this, I know that we're getting into a little bit of um, kind of, I don't want to say muddy interpretation. I, here's, what I, here's what I want to say. I don't think that the demons, you know, when they're saying, hey, send us among the pigs, right? Send us into the pigs. I don't think that the demons have this, like, knowledge of, like, okay, the pigs are this symbol of paganism, and then we're going to go into the pigs, and then, you know, this is going to be... But when Jesus chooses the pigs, right, let's imagine that on this hillside isn't just pigs, right? Let's imagine that this is a farming operation. Goats, sheep, pigs, right? And Jesus chooses the pigs over who, who knows what other animals were there. If you were to read this, taking our minds, putting it back in the first century, right? It would be a symbolic triumph, cleansing, a full redemption on a very painful part, in, in an, like a full redemption, a victory of a painful and embarrassing piece of history, right? Jesus is claiming victory over that. Right? Jesus is sending the demons into this pagan defeat persecution symbol, right? And in some sense, he's, he's, again, he's claiming, he's triumphing, he's claiming vindication, victory over this, right? Um, is this, uh, let's, let's apply this to us. What is a painful part of your history that Jesus either is claiming victory over or needs to claim victory over, right? You want me to give you a silly example? Here's a silly example. And it's not that silly because it's painful. Um, well, you guys know I love my dad, so this is in no sense like uh, uh, condemnation of my, of my dad. But, you know, as, as dads, we all make mistakes. At one point, I, I was just... I was just in high school and I was, I was just being, you know, a high school, high school boy. And I forget exactly what I did. I honestly, if I'm, I forget what I did. My dad says this to me. He says, use your head for more than a hat rack. And there are still moments to this day when I will put on a hat and hear that from my father, you know, and it's not painful in the sense that it's like, you know, fractured or, or, or shattered our relationship. It's embarrassing and it's painful. You know what I mean? And I was, I don't know why the Lord brought that into my heart as I was thinking through this sermon this past couple of weeks. Um, but there is that painful part of history. And whatever it is, maybe it's a relationship for you. Maybe there was a betrayal Maybe there's some, some, you know, again, like pigs are just pigs. Maybe there's some sorts of symbols associated with it. Um, you know, maybe you were, there was a restaurant that you shared together or, or a walk or something that you would do or a vacation spot. And like, like that's been shattered, right? And there's this kind of painful, embarrassing piece of our history that, that you know, I think, at least in my mind, when I see Jesus doing this, I'm reminded, and I want to remind folks sitting in this room, that Jesus is doing that in our lives, right? Again, it could be silly, use your head for more than a hat rack, and I go to my closet, and I put on my hat, and I hear my father saying that. 
Again, it could be a broken relationship. It could be a betrayal. It could be a loss. It could be hurt. And Jesus, I'm just reminded that Jesus is still taking embarrassing, right, painful, troubling parts of our histories, and he's redeeming them. He's claiming victory over them, right? So Jesus is doing that. There is a confirmation of Jesus's full victory. Again, putting our minds back into that moment, Jesus is doing that, and we're watching Jesus say, wow, Jesus, that symbol that the pagans used to, to persecute and humiliate us, you're claiming victory over that. You're redeeming that aspect, right? This great passage in John 1, um, John says this as he's kind of reflecting. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is God's spiritual child and has been fathered by God himself. And everyone who loves Father God loves his children as well. This is how we can be sure that we love the children of God by having a passionate love for God and by obedience to his commands. True love for God means obeying his commands and his commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. Now, here's the part that I want to get to. I just wanted to quote that first part too because it's such a good reminder. And then John says this. He says, you see, every child of God overcomes the world. We have victory over the world. For our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world, right? So who are the world's conquer who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus' redemption, Jesus' victory um, over all is for all of us sitting in this room, right? No matter how painful that was, no matter how embarrassing that was, no matter how much you think that defined you, no matter how much that hurts you. Um, Jesus, every child of God, overcomes the world. Our faith is a victorious power that triumphs over the world. You know, with my father and that, you know, head, um, head, use your head for more than a hat rack. Sometimes on my, on my better moments, right, when I think about that, I just go to my, my real father, my heavenly father, my spiritual father, and I just put that before him and I say, can you redeem this part? Can you have victory over this part? Can I just bring this before you, right? And that is the victorious power that I have through faith, that we have through faith, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. So this kind of like, you know, you kind of get to this like point of like sending into the pigs and like, oh, that was kind of awkward. But there is like this whole kind of backstory to it. I think Jesus is redeeming a painful part of Israel's past. They would have picked up on it. We don't necessarily always pick up on it, but that's what Jesus is doing. Um, then you have the people come to Jesus, right? And you have the people come to Jesus. Jesus, right? He's done this miracle, right? And the people beg Jesus to leave the area. Now, as I was reading uh, kind of some of the commentators, I was doing my study. One of the things that I thought was really fascinating about this, right, is we're so like laser focused on this demon possessed man, right? And he's wild and he's cutting himself with stones and he's screaming and he's possessed by a legion of demons. And then some people asked the question, you know, is it just the demon possessed man or is the community actually, so to speak, demon possessed, right? Think about the way that this community treats the man. They beat him, 
they chain him, they shackle him, they excommunicate him, they dehumanize him. This community only knows force, it only knows power to protect its property. The community is choosing pigs over healing, right? Economics over life. If, you know, we were talking about the, the little baby pigs and whatnot, right? And if somebody, you know, at one point said, hey, uh, we need to make a choice here. We have this mom, these couple little pigs, and either they can live or we have this man who's dying of cancer. He's, you know, 35 years old. He can live, right? And we're going to vote on it, right? Like, I don't know how much confidence I have in our society for it to be a unanimous decision for our man. But I think most people say, like, absolutely, we're going to choose the man. We're going to choose the man over, over these pigs, right? Um, the community chooses the pigs over the healing, the economics over the life. Um, I was thinking about this, too, because so much of the narrative right now, especially in our news um, cycles, is about homeless issues in, our, in and around our communities, whether it's Los Angeles, San Francisco, here in Orange County. If you read between the lines on homeless situations here, right, um, it's the same dynamic as what happens here in the first century. It's a cost-benefit analysis. As soon as homelessness impacts business, economics, then it gets dealt with and confronted, addressed, right? We in a society, we bow to the god of mammon, to economics. We know this, right? Now, Think about just, again, this kind of economic impact. Because I wanted to do this research. So here's the research that I did. How much does a pig cost today? If you were to go out and you were to buy a pig, okay? Depending on the pig, somewhere between $200 and $500, right? So you can go out and, Chris, if you wanted to get your boys a pet pig, I mean, maybe, you know, between $200 and $500, right? Now, do the math. How many pigs? 2,000 pigs. Math teacher, 2,000 times 200? A lot of zeros. <laughs> $400,000. Yeah. $400,000. 2,000 times, say you get those more expensive pigs, those nice pigs, you're talking a million dollars, right? And, you know, you can kind of just do the economics of scale and just realize that, you know, hey, back then, obviously pigs aren't two or $500. But whatever the economic impact would have been, would have been significant, right? Jesus understands that. And what Jesus does in this moment is he is wielding a different power, right? Isn't this great to see that Jesus is saying, not only is it like this one little family of pigs, okay, we got to get rid of them so this man can live. Jesus kind of like takes the whole economic ledger and throws it out the window and says, now, nah, this guy needs to get healed, right? Cost me $400,000, million, $4 million, it doesn't matter. This man is going to get healed. Jesus is the one who chooses life over economics, healing over power, touch and embrace over the way that they have excluded him. The community that has done this to the man is just as possessed, Right? Now, again, this points us back to that sharp edge of the gospel, right? The sharp edge of the gospel is, and we got to say this as a church, right? Because we don't talk about this enough, probably, is to challenge some of the capitalistic structures of our world in which economic growth is the only power 
we recognize, right? That is the, I mean, think about our, the world that we live in. The only power that we recognize, well, how the stock market do this week, right? How's my 401k, right? How much money have, what's, what's inflation doing these days? What's, you know what I mean? It's the only power we recognize. And one of the things that I would say too is, is, is as a church we're trying to do this, I, I just always think about um, uh, the, this kind of revolutionary act of tithing or giving. Oh, we got a little, got a customer here. We're going to go out to recess. Is she going? She doesn't go out to recess? No. Okay. It's okay. We just need a commercial break because we're getting into some like, you know, I'm challenging the whole capitalist system that our country's founded on. And so we need a little break to kind of like digest some of that. But when you listen, when somebody in this church or somebody tithes or, or gives, what I would say that is, is it's honestly, it's a step away from this whole, gosh, we live in such a capitalistic society. We step away from that into an entirely different reality, right? Psalm 24, 1. You're leaving? Yeah. Johnny, you left us early last week too. You didn't even finish your work shift. Okay, so are you, so you're gonna go on vacation? Come here, give me a hug, and then we'll we'll see you next week. Okay? Are you gonna be here next week, or are you gonna be on vacation? Uh, on vacation. Pa pa pa. I'll probably be here next next week. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll call your mom. I'm not gonna be that that long. Okay. It's kind of just one long commercial here. All right, we're still challenging the capitalistic structure of the world, aren't we? You know, we, we, we live under... I love Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. And when, you, when, when we as Christians, when we tithe, when we give, when we donate, in, in essence, what we're saying is like, listen, there, like capitalism, no, no, everything belongs to God out of what God has so blessed me with. I freely give, I freely, um, I freely just redistribute to those in need joyfully, thoughtfully give back to God. And sometimes that happens in our little offering box back there. Sometimes that happens to somebody who's doing just incredible ministry like Dana. Sometimes it's different nonprofit organizations. It's sponsoring children. It's spontaneous needs that we see come up. But because we have a different vision of what God is doing in this world, right? We understand that we, just like Jesus, are always looking to choose life over simple economics, right? And I just wanted to pause, too. Um, and, you know, for all the folks in this church who tithe and who give and who keep things going, I just want to say thank you. Like, it's been, it's been just incredible. There was a couple years ago when um, we were really tight financially. We're in a better place right now. And just thank you to everybody who, who tithes who gives, who's been faithful to giving, you just like Jesus, right? 
are saying, I will choose life, I will choose redistributing what I have over just the simple, you know, ledger sheets of, you know, of what I make versus what I spend. We have a whole other category in which we say, I freely, thoughtfully, joyfully give back to God. And so thank you to everybody in this church. Um, okay. We could talk more about that, but I think, oh, you forgot your helmet. Okay, Johnny, have a fun vacation. Last one. You know, the, the man, the, the, at the final, at the very end, this man is going to come and beg Jesus. He's been healed. Jesus and his disciples are ready to go. Um, this kind of last little piece here is discipleship. And I don't have a ton to say about this. I mean, we, this could be a whole other sermon if we really kind of went all the way after it. But, um, man, Jesus, Jesus sends him away, right? And he says, I want you to go and I want you to tell everybody how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And I think that, like, to me, this is just such the heart of, of I mean, this is just almost, in some senses, um, the Bible in miniature, right? Where we have an encounter with Jesus, right? However that might be, we have an encounter with Jesus, right? We receive the healing, the word, right, from Jesus. Jesus has done something powerful in our lives, and then you and I are called to go out and testify, right? We are called to go out and be a witness. Um, and here's the thing, too. I used this quote a couple weeks ago. That proximity to Jesus is not enough. Allegiance to Jesus is what matters, right? And allegiance to Jesus, you know, again, we can go back to Dana, right? Dana, in some senses. Proximity-wise, there is, there is no proximity to churches, to, um, you know, to Christians, to whatever. But her allegiance, when we all sat here a couple weeks ago and said, her allegiance to Jesus is both inspiring and troubling to sometimes what I would call my allegiance to Jesus, right? What she is doing is really something... Uh, that matters, that is significance, that has weight, right? So this man who goes back into what we just said as, you know, not only was this man possessed, this whole community is possessed, right? This whole community who's choosing power, who's choosing economics, who's shackling, who's chaining, right? This man goes back into that community with a testimony, with his word. And we understand that his allegiance to Jesus, right, he goes out and he begins to testify is what really matters. So I think that'll do it for this morning. Let's do um, a couple questions. Um, I'm just going to do the last call on the demons. Any final thoughts, comments, questions? Um, if you feel comfortable, you know, maybe there's a painful past. It could be something that's like, you know, again, not, not a debilitating painful past. It could be something a little smaller. Maybe Jesus has redeemed. Maybe Jesus, you're asking Jesus to redeem that, to have victory over that. Um, where does Christianity, the church, the kingdom need to challenge our economic systems, right? Jesus, I mean, we've said this before, but Jesus talks about money more than any, or economics more than anything else, right? More than sin, more than prayer. Uh, he always is talking about economics, and then how would you tell someone 
about what the Lord has done for you. So take a minute or two. You might need to get up and move around because we're a little sparse. Um, but take a minute and, and move next to somebody, and we'll do a couple of these questions, and then we'll go from there.